video computers online. Archiving 44K. doesn't want you to hear. Now here is your host, Leno Sanic. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. This is your host, Leno Sanic. Today we're speaking to Larry Schnaff. Hello Larry. Hi there, how you doing, Len? Very good. Pleasure to see I guess I can't uh, I can't wish you a happy July fourth, but uh, you just is July 1st or 2nd the equivalent in Canada? Yeah, July 1st for Canada, 4th of July for America. So, happy birthday, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, anyway, just this week, Joe Biden has turned down uh, releasing the JFK records, which Robert Kennedy Jr. came out on Twitter to say this is actually functionally illegal. Like, what you've done is... From the 1992 Records Act, they were demanded to be released. And then after 25 years, they kept getting held back, or we're not ready, or there's COVID. And I was wondering if you could give us an update of what your legal team is going through right now. Yeah, so the June 30th uh, executive order that President Biden issued on the eve of July 4th holiday, which is a classic Washington, D.C. trick to issue bad news when the media is either... Um, stuck in traffic or otherwise not paying attention. He basically, we, we have to actually go back to the December 15, 2022 order to understand what the most recent order did. So when the president issued his executive order on December 15, 2022, he created two separate buckets of documents. There were documents in paragraph 2C of his order that were immediately going to be governed the release of those documents was going to be governed by what he called transparency plans, which are really secrecy plans. That became effective immediately. And then there was the second bucket of records, Section 2D of his, of his order, which was records that required additional work to review and that uh, the NARA and the agencies were supposed to continue work and then decide whether they can be released before June 30th. Now, a bunch of records were re-released, still most in redacted form, several times in the spring, and there were two major dumps in June, amounting to a little less than 3,000 documents. But again, a lot of these documents were previously released and are still redacted. In fact, the infamous Schlesinger memo was re-released with the same paragraphs redacted. Now, for those who don't know, why are you calling it the... uh... Schlesinger memo? Yeah, yeah. So in 1962, there was a memo written by Arthur Schlesinger to President Kennedy at President Kennedy's request asking for recommendations on reorganizing the CIA. And remember, this is a 1962 memo. 
And to this day, there's about roughly a page and a half of text that's completely uh, whited out. And, you know, this has been considered an assassination record because it deals with one of the suspected parties to the assassination. And it continues to be redacted. And they re-released it so that technically it counts towards a number of documents that were released in June, but they were released it with the same redactions as last time, so there was nothing new. So what the, the, the president's order on June 30th did two things. One, it said that the records that had not been released by June 30th were now going to be subject to the transparency plans. But more importantly, he said in the first paragraph that this is his final certification, the last act required under the act was this certification that the remaining records that have not been released are now going to be their their declassification and released to the American public is going to be governed by transparency plans and administered by the National Security uh, Declassification Center, National Declassification Center, NDC. So in essence, President Biden is returning to the national security bureaucrats. These are the same people that engaged in obfuscation and delays for the first 30 years following the assassination that required Congress to act and pass the JFK Records Act, he is now returning to these same people the responsibilities for deciding if, if the remaining records that are redacted should be unredacted. And the transparency plans, which are supposed to guide those decisions, contain provisions in them they're based on events that are that would occur that would allow records to be released. And the events oftentimes include criteria that are not included in the statute. So in other words, they're using non-statutory criteria to decide whether a record can be released. Or to put it another way, the transparency plans would allow records to be continued to be postponed under conditions which the statute would not allow. So this is outrageous. Uh, that the president has, A, allowed this, and B, that the president has decided that he has no further responsibilities under the statute. So my first message is to all the listeners is to contact the White House and express your outrage to him. President Biden needs to understand that he's going to suffer political consequences as a result of cowering to these incredulous demands or claims of the national security bureaucracy that 60-year-old records somehow contain harms to national security that are of such grave importance that they outweigh the public interest in seeing these records released. So that was the news that happened on Friday. And our lawsuit against President Biden and the National Archives, our oral argument is scheduled for July 13th in San Francisco. We, the government has filed a motion to dismiss us from the case. And we have obviously opposed that. And we have filed our own motion for injunctive relief, although we're asking uh, the court to order certain types of relief. And one of them is we are asking the court to prevent the transparency plans from being implemented because they don't comply with the law. And we're also asking the judge to order the National Archives to continue to do the search for the re existing records that are not in the collection. Just to remind your listeners, when the Records Review Board went out of business in 1998, September 30th, 1998, there were still outstanding record searches that had not been completed. And the National Archives 
uh, entered into a memorandum of understanding with a number of agencies, including the CIA, whereby they were going to continue to uh, supervise the release of those records. And also the National Archives was supposed to um, follow up on the remaining search requests um, that had been issued to various agencies. They haven't done that. Even though they said in a public when, in, in 2000, they had moved the regulations of the ARB from the ARB's um, section of the federal code to their section of the code. And they said they were doing this because they were the successor in function to the ARB. Otherwise, the they were taking over. Assassinations Records and Review Board. Yes, yes. Just for the Assassinations Records Review Board had issued regulations, and the National Archives moved those regulations to their section of the code so they can continue to supervise and administer. And they said when they did this that they, they meaning the National Archives, was continuing to supplement and maintain the JFK collection, and they were the successor in function to the Records Review Board. And yet they haven't done anything since 2000 to pursue uh, these other records that are not, have not been made part of the collection. And, of course, everyone knows we have talked in the past about the Joannides files, but there's other files as well that um, we are looking for. We gave a long list of documents to President Biden and also uh, have highlighted them in our complaint that need to be uh, pursued and put into the collection. So there's actually two issues that's important to us. One is the records that are in the collection that have not been released in full to the American people. But perhaps even more important is that there are records that were supposed to be have put into the collection um, under the act and when the ARB, when the record review board went out of business, their work was not done, and the National Archives said they were the successor, and that, in other words, they were supposed to continue the work of the review board, and they haven't done that. And so we're seeking both an order saying that the president's decision to use transparency plans to govern the future release of documents in the collection uh, violates the law and that he can't even delegate it. The statute says he's at, he, has a, he has the sole non-delegable duty. In other words, he can't give it to somebody else to do. It's his alone to make that decision. But he turned around and authorized the National Declassification Center to do that, and the National Declassification Center has a terrible track record of engaging in, uh, of going through, it, it's supposed to go through a mandatory declassification process, and I know, for example, Jeff Morley has been waiting years for his mandatory declassification request to be processed. So um, by, doing, by, by delegating the responsibility of having the remaining records that are in the collection to be decisions on their release to be made by the National Declassification Center, President Biden is both violating the law and also basically recreating the situation that existed before the act was put into effect. So that's the very, to me, the very definition of insanity. Um, why would you expect a different result um, by doing the same thing? And then, of course, the second piece of this is to get the other records that are out there that are not part of the collection that the American people are entitled to see under the act um, put into the act 
and then declassified. So um, our oral, oral argument is on Thursday. We're optimistic. You know, there's a lot of different ways that that oral argument can go. I, I could spend a long time going through all the possibilities, but I won't do that now. Okay, good. You know, uh, I, I was just smiling, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but when you said you're optimistic, what they're doing is if, let, let's just say the CIA, with orders from the Department of Defense, ordered Kennedy's hit. They said, get rid of that guy. We don't care. Shoot him in the street. Now they're fighting tooth and nail to deny you. And what, what's this Orwellian nightmare of calling it a transparency act? I mean, how do you even justify that? You're, you know, it's been 60 years. And what's the latest? You said that they're, they want to get your case just thrown out. They don't even yes, want to yes, address they file, it. Right. They filed a motion to dismiss, dismiss saying that we don't have the standing, the right to be in court in the first place. And even if we do that uh, the president uh, has complied with the law. Yeah, I, when the transparency plans were first proposed in December, and the National Archives allegedly reviewed these and said they were acceptable, I immediately called them secrecy plans, because that's what they are. Yeah, it's um, an Orwell you, doublespeak, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and some of the events that they put in those transparency plans, like one, for example, is that if the record involves a foreign... Uh, country with which we have a security arrangement with, the record will not be released until that either that company agrees or the security arrangement is terminated. Well, what kind of security arrangement does that refer to? Well, think of NATO. So, you know, as long as NATO's around, if there's a NATO country that is that there is a assassination record that refers to something that happened in that country, um, that record can be withheld until NATO is disbanded. Yeah, I know, but the uh, I, I, I wish I had a better word for this, but I'll just say the poverty of them trying to say that you have no right to go to court when you're asking them to not renege on what was already agreed upon. They had 25 years, right? They had, uh, Congress had said in 1992 that 30 years was enough, and then at the end of the ARB, there was 25 well, the, uh, there was 25 years from the time of the act to have the records released, and it's now 30 years since the act was passed. So it's 60 years. So 30 years ago, Congress said 30 years was enough time. And there's still the idea that there could possibly be any information in those documents. Well, guess what? That there is. There is. That's why they're fighting tooth and nail, because it doesn't go to Lee Oswald. It doesn't go to Castro. It doesn't go to the mafia. It goes to the heart of who, you know, removed John Kennedy and handled the cover-up and handled the Warren Commission. And all the, like, Joannides is, I think, a tip of the iceberg. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's hard for, uh, it'd be hard for me to remain as optimistic as you are, because the corruption is so deep. Like, they're just saying that you don't even have the right to ask for this, and we want the judge to throw out this. And it's just, I mean, I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, my, my optimism is, you know, we are in the Northern District of California, and I'm hoping, you know, they in the past were a court that threw out orders, executive orders that Donald Trump had issued. So we're hoping that perhaps they will see that this is the same kind of wrongful behavior as Donald Trump's, that, you know, he, he's violating the law and he is depriving, he's not only violating the letter of the law, but he's also violating the spirit of the law. And American people are entitled to see these documents. And uh, the president, the, the judge is going to have a chance 
to be a historical figure. You know, the book just came out called The Last Honest Man about Frank Church. I almost am thinking about bringing that book to the courthouse. <laughs> Let the judge know he can be a, a new honest man. You know, I'm, I really can't say that. Yeah, but. I know. But, I mean, it's, it's the same thing, unfortunately. It's so similar to, I think, about Julian Assange that – he, they're holding him on espionage when he said, "I just released these documents," and the, the you know, New York Times and and the Guardian, everyone, they were the ones that published them all out there. They they printed them, right? You're not, they're not taking them. You're not holding anybody in prison there, but they're holding Julian Assange for his lifetime because they don't want people to know what really went on, and they're so pissed off. And it reminds me of the John F. Kennedy assassination when you look at it. They do not want people to know what they did and what they got away with, and maybe with Martin King and, and uh, Bobby Kennedy, right? You know, just and on and on, and the ones we don't even know about, right? So I think in 1978, like you mentioned, well, Frank Church, right, Church Committee, they did... In 75, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did get a few people to talk about the different operations that were going on. And although it wasn't, it was it was news to some people, and they go, geez, if people catch on, they'll start wanting to know, um, you know, Lee Oswald's uh, uh, financial records, right? Was he on the payroll? Was he, get, you know, was he an informant? Was he, uh, you know, just, you know, the whole thing. And, and so, I mean, I commend you and your group... I know it's just not one man there. All the people who are trying to get something. It's better than just sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing. And, um, you know, I'm in Vancouver, Canada, so I just kind of watch with interest. And I like reporting on what's new. But um, it is such an and uphill there's battle. A bill, there's a bill in Congress that was introduced by Congressman Schweikert, um, which would um, call for the immediate release of all the records in the JFK Act. And would also uh, eliminate the uh, exceptions to the act, such as the Oswald uh, tax returns. And he has not obtained any co-sponsors. The, the bill was put into five different House committees, and not a single representative has agreed to sign on as a co-sponsor. This is after a number of congressmen, at least on the Democratic side, had written President Biden last year several times and the year before asking him to release the rest of the records. They have not deemed to sign on to this legislation. We have asked um, people to co contact their representatives, and there just is no interest in getting this legislation passed. And the other thing that we're concerned about is that at 60 years out, it's not just getting the records released. Once you get the records released, then you see names of people who might have information. The only a fraction of the people that uh, have knowledge about the events leading up to the assassination were ever interviewed by the government agencies, either by the HSCA or the Church Committee or the ARB um, or the Warren Commission. There are a lot of people that weren't interviewed, and now they're in their 80s and 90s. And the policy that the FBI has been following, for example, is that they don't release a name until the person dies. Now, that's not what the statute says. The statute says the person's name can be withheld if there is substantial evidence of harm. And, in fact, the National Archives in 2017 pushed back on having these names redacted, but they got overruled by President Trump. And so let's say records are released in full, but now we don't have people to talk to because they're dead or they have dementia.
and we're telling the court this is you know this is an irreparable injury to history we need to get these names released for example there was there was a uh, a person's name that was released in december called donald heath he was a cia employee the cia had been denying for decades that they ever did an investigation into the Cuban exile community followed in the days following the assassination. Well, it turns out they did. They were had, they, there was an inter- interview process extensively of Cuban exiles and Cuban and pro Castro agents in Miami. And the man that led this was Donald Heath. We only learned about him in, in December of 2022 because he died in 2019. So, you know, who knows who he spoke to, where the records are that he accumulated, what kind of records did he accumulate, who did he talk to, all the kinds of questions that we could have asked, we're never going to be able to ask because he's gone. And with him are his memories. And so we're trying to let the court know that this is not just about releasing records. The, the, the historic record is not complete. And people are dying at an exponential rate. And those that are not dying are beginning to, their memories are fading. And it's urgent that we get to be able to talk to these people, because if we don't, then future generations are going to be, con, you know, basically consigned to only knowing part of the record. This is, we are at the, we are at the tail end of, this is still a living historical event, but it's becoming less and less so. And until we, unless we can get names of these people released so that we can interview them, researchers, historians, um, so we can get the proper context and learn, you know, who did they talk to? And then you follow up with those people. So um, it, it's really, there's really a sense of urgency here. This is, um, you know, this is not something we can wait another 20, 30 years to get done. Because in 20, 30 years, all the witnesses and those of us who live through it are going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. Although I just see it being such an uphill battle because of my my prejudice that I think that uh, I mean at Alan Dulles the CIA for whatever you know reasons that's where I think where the the blame lies uh, who could really pull this off right so even I remember Vladimir Putin was on an interview with someone and uh, the the interviewer started pushing back about you know freedoms in Russia and that and he said well you in America you just your security services kill your own president if you don't like him well that's funny you say that there was a memo that was released so the in the most recent document dump which was on June 27th they released a bunch of records that that were involving processing requests by the review board of foreign countries and there was a funny memo where I guess we're asking the KGB, a person at the KGB, or someone in the Russian government to release KGB records. And his response was, why should I give you my records when you haven't even released your own records to your own people? So, um, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, and that was like in 1998 when they said that. Um, um, I, so I don't want to give you the mis. Uh, a misconception. I mean, I am optimistic. I, I recognize the high hurdle and the intensity of the battle we're facing, but I choose not to be um, discouraged or disappointed. Um, you know, it's just I'm, I'm basically. No, hats off. So- you know, hats off to you. Next time I run into you, I'll buy you dinner. Okay, but <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I've been following. And the this. fact been- that President, Len, the fact that the president doubled down and issued this memo on Friday, which was the day after we submitted our reply brief uh, supporting our motion 
for injunctive relief just shows you that they, the intensity of the opposition we're facing, uh, we are aware of that, but we also trust the judicial system. We think we're going to get a fair hearing, and we hope that the judge will see that uh, what the law says and what the law requires. Um, and, you know, I, um, it, so the first step is to, is to be able to stay in court. And then at that point, um, once, you know, if the court lets us stay in the case, then, you know, then there's a whole different legal procedure to follow. So look at it from this side, that if you're the American justice system and somehow somebody says, you know, I think some organized crime killed Kennedy. I think that one of these mafia guys killed Kennedy. They're, they're, they're not investigating. They're not looking into it. They're not saying, here's what we're doing. It's taking concerned citizens like you to, to say, do something. Do something, and if you can't, open up the record so we can go through it, because it'll take a lot of man hours to go through this stuff. You know, their response is they have enough. So if you talk to someone in the Department of Justice, their response will probably be that they have enough cases about live people that they have to handle. Their workload is hard enough without having to deal with a 60-year-old case. Well, unfortunately, you know what? When you work for the government, you can't choose your cases, <laughs> you know? And wow. this is this I mean, is required what could be by the more law. important than removing the president of your country? Right. And right. you, you, that means they all know what happened. They all know. And they're, they're deciding, to, like you say, to double down. Not only are we not going to let you go through with this, but we're going to ask the judge throws the case out without merit. You know, you don't have any. Uh, and, and the poverty of that, because what do you mean without merit? I mean, it's a law. It was already in law at the end of nineteen. Uh, was it nineteen ninety two? No, ninety four, five. When ARB no, it got it got. Well, the the law was signed into the bill was signed into law on October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety two, and that's where you get the twenty five years to October twenty fourth, twenty seventeen. So uh, it was debated for about a year and a half, and then the President Bush, even when President Bush signed it, he signed it with a signing statement indicating that he disagreed with much of the law and that because he, he felt it encroached upon his constitutional powers. But, you know, Congress writes the laws, and we're not, this is not a case about what the president's constitutional powers are. This is about Congress gave, created a statute and gave the president certain obligations under the statute, and he has not complied with them. And the executive branch has not complied with them, and they push back at every opportunity. So, um... But, you know, we're, we're, we're prepared. That's going to be in San Francisco. The other thing that, you know, is very disappointing is the media response to this order, of course, you know, was deliberately issued on the eve of a holiday. But even when most of the articles that have come out since then, they just basically parrot what the press release was from the National Archives. They assign, when you look at the names of the reporters, most of the reporters they assign to this were born... Oh, I'd say maybe in the, night, the late 1990s, they're young reporters, and you know they don't put experienced reporters on this case. They have young reporters who weren't even alive when the bill was was passed, much less during the assassination. You know, writing these pieces, and they don't have they don't have the understanding of history. They don't have the the seasoned older reporters covering this news, and the lack of the lack of the American media to follow this news and to give President Biden a free pass on this is just, uh, it's just it's outrageous. Pathetic, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why people tune in to Black Op Radio to hear what's new, and because you you won't find it anywhere else. Now, there's two people talking though. One was um, Tucker Carlson. He started making a comment about the CIA being behind killing Kennedy, and he's fired within a week later. And Bobby Kennedy Jr. has been on talk shows talking about problems with his father, and Sirhan couldn't have done it. So, you know, and also his uncle, right, Jack Kennedy. And uh, it's just those are two people that are on the horizon actually saying something. But they tar Robert Kennedy Jr. by just calling him anti-vaxxer, anti-vaxxer. And the more they say that, the the more it makes me want to look into it. If you heard the three-hour interview of him on the Joe Rogan show. Yep, I listened to it. Really good because Joe starts off by saying, I was one of those – people that kind of fell into that and I thought oh well what is this you know I mean it's the same kind of thing that people wrote to me when I had Andrew Wakefield on very early in the day he said we discovered these things now somehow the journals the Lancet and that have been taken over where the conclusions do not reflect what the actual data showed and if you look into the data you know there is troubles with vaccines now it doesn't mean to what percentage and what but whatever right I like the line by uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. who was a um, uh, environmental lawyer he said look when I was trying to get mercury and aluminum out of out of fish out of the water you know pollution nobody called me anti-fish but when I tried to do that with uh, here in vaccines there's problems with them I'm trying to get mercury and aluminum out of them right now I'm an anti-vaxxer so yeah well you know I, as an environmental lawyer in New York I, I know Bobby Jr. and in full disclosure I am a supporter of his and what people don't understand you know when he was talking about Sir, Sir, Sirhan Sahan his family disagreed with him but when he's talking about his uncle, the president, you'll notice no one in his family has, has disagreed with what he said. And when Bobby, is, when Bobby Jr. is talking, it's as if Robert Kennedy, the father, is talking. Because he talked to his dad about his uncle's assassination. He knows what his father's thoughts were. And he's sharing his father's thoughts with the American people. So rather than saying Bobby Kennedy Jr. is a conspiracist when it comes to the his uncle's assassination, the media should be realizing that they are hearing virtually from the mouth of the former attorney general what he secretly believed happened on November 22, 1963. Instead, they go for the, the tar, you know, they, they tar him, tar and feather him with the anti-vaxxer. And it's not that he's anti-vaxxer. His, he was right about mercury. Um, and what he is really about is he's, he's very distrustful of big pharma and, and the way they are allowed to, to manufacture yeah. vaccines. And for good and get, reason. And, and, for good right, reason and get protections of liability. Right. I mean, the, the issue is that they can hurt, you know, they don't have the same procedures that are used for other medicine. And if they do hurt people, they're immune from liability. And that's what he's really trying to say. He, all he's saying is they should be tested. But because the vaccine became politicized in the United States during the pandemic, because it somehow it got to the point where if you were anti-vaccine, you were pro-Trump, and it just got really politicized, and it still is politicized. And it's the Democrats, the liberals, who are politicizing it now, and they're using this against Bobby Kennedy. And, uh, but again, I, I'm a supporter of, of him, so I'm not... You know, what I'm saying is not um, 
you know, it, it's not. I'm not saying this as an objective observer. I'm, I'm, I'm being an advocate for him because well, I am a supporter. Uh, you're, you're supporting his record then of what he did as an environmental attorney. So yeah, you're yeah, saying I, what he yeah, did I know was him good as, work. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, he created you know a lot of. I mean, he did a lot of good things with his the organization he formed for children. I was in the same town as he was. We were in the same, you know, circle of environmental lawyers. Now, I wasn't on the side he was on. I was doing something different. But, you know, our paths crossed many times, and I have a great deal of respect for him. And he's a very smart man. Yeah, and he's one of the people that tweeted right away when this uh, Joe Biden, you know, turned his back on the American people and said, uh, like you called it, double down. I'm just going to cancel the whole thing. There'll be no more record releases. He said well, that I this asked, is wrong. I asked him to do that because – I mean, I'm, you know, I am in contact with him. So, but, you know, I, I told him that I, I sent an email blast to 50, I think 50 journalists, and you were the only one that responded. So I said, to, I wrote him, I said, look, I, I can't get any traction. Maybe, maybe you can, you have the platform, maybe you can do something about this because this is out. And, he, you know, he, he agrees with this. So it, it's very, very frustrating. And, you know, he's trying to rebuild his father's coalition which was a coalition of liberals and conservatives and working class people. And nowadays, so that's why he's going on and talking on conservative radio stations and conservative media, because he's trying to reach out to that part of the country. He doesn't believe in, in red and white. So he, he's getting attacked now for, for, you know, for being on, appearing on Tucker Carlson and other places and and Joe Rogan and I told someone to go listen to Joe his interview on Joe Rogan. They said, "There's no way I'm going to put on Joe Rogan." I said, "But you're not putting you're not listening to Joe Rogan. You got a chance yeah. to listen three hours to RFK unfiltered, and then you can have you then you can find out what his views are. Oh, and then I'm not going to listen to Joe Rogan. Think of that, eh? Right? Yeah. How do I mean? Yeah, there are still people that are on the web that uh, are saying Lee Oswald did it, and uh, we're all we're all wrong, you know. And I mean, it's just uh, it's just crazy. I mean, again, I come from a time when there were liberal Republicans and conservative Democrats, and you didn't. When I grew up, I was probably what you would call a Rockefeller Republican, you know. I mean, liberal on social issues and conservative on fiscal issues, but you didn't define your friendships by politics because. A Democrat could be conservative or liberal, and the same thing with Republicans. And so I, I don't let politics interfere with my friendships and my relationships, but a lot of people do now. And it's unfortunate because you don't learn. Uh, well, now we're going a whole different tangent, but I'm just saying yeah. Bobby's trying to rebuild a center-out coalition, and he's getting – and if you see all the articles that are attacking him are from the left – and, you know, I think it's the, their, you know, DNC hit jobs. Well, it's the dying afraid. gasp of that legacy media because Tucker Carlson's new show that I've only seen three or four of them on Twitter, they're getting, he's getting in the millions, 80 million, a really? hundred million. Oh yeah, millions of views. And when they say CNN was getting 300,000 people a night and maybe Fox was getting two and a half million a night. Tucker Carlson, I think it shows only weekly, but it's getting 80, 100, 110 million. Just look into it, right? You know, it's just unbelievable. I know. When I went on his show, I went on his show in December, the day after he did his first show on the 15th, and I came on the 16th. And I had no constraints, and, and you know, I said what I had to say. They didn't try to undermine me. They were very professional. 
and I, I was actually impressed with, you know, where they conducted um, themselves in my interview. And, and so, you well, know, that's I'm, why they, that's why he got fired <laughs> because uh, he was starting to uh, wake up and say, you know, all these people that are, are looking at the government and looking at the, you know, there was no weapons of mass destruction and what the hell was nine 11 over. And uh, other people have talked about, you know, back into history, we're going back to the Kennedy assassination. He wasn't blindly parroting, uh, right. Legacy media anymore. He said, "I'm looking into this, and and these this is wrong." And I think I think with the Kennedy assassination, him naming the CIA behind it, what well, could have been the final straw that uh, that got him fired. And of course, you know, then of course, then all my liberal friends were thinking first they wouldn't listen to him, and then they thought he was using this just to um, take down Joe Biden so that Donald Trump become president again. And that, that's like. It's not what's going on. And now a lot of my liberal friends think that, you know, that uh, Bobby Kennedy's being used by the far right wing to weaken Biden. I said, no, he's using them to speak to their people so he can build a coalition. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, you've, you've got to put like 50 bucks down to somebody and just say, listen, listen to the three-hour Joe Rogan interview. Just listen to it and then, because you're talking about something you don't know anything about. And for them to say, uh, uh, you know, yeah, it's crazy. And he does say, he does say there, if I'm wrong about something, um, let me know. And I think, you know, I spoke to a couple people, and we're way off topic here, but just to just we're talking about it, like the de- autism, the, the definition of autism changed in 1989. So there may be some, maybe some of the increase that we're seeing could be, related to the fact that think that certain conditions are being diagnosed now as autism that weren't in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s when he and I were growing up. He's a, he's a year younger than me, so I, I know, you know the error that he's talking about. However, that doesn't discount the fact that you know, there's a lot of endocrine disruptors. and I mean, there are millions of chemicals that the EPA has a lot, well, let me, let me, thousands, let's say hundreds of thousands of chemicals that are allowed were allowed into the marketplace that were never fully tested under the Toxic yeah, Substance and you Control can, Act. You can talk about Pfizer, about how many times have they been sued, successfully sued, and they have to pay out billions. So they pay out $5 billion on a drug that caused heart attacks, but they made $20 billion on it. So they're still laughing to the bank. They don't care. It's like the old, member the Ford Pinto? You know, they said it's going to yeah, cost yeah. too much money to yep. fix the gas tank, so we'll just pay out anybody that gets blown up oh i i once when i was in one time in a environmental law case and i came across a document where the general counsel was telling the president of the company and this should not have been disclosed because it should have been privileged but somehow it got released that it was cheaper for them to hire a lawyer and to try to delay things for a year or two or three than actually try to clean up the site and that's the sort of what you know is done in this country and and um you know, these companies have gotten so big, they can, you know, they, unless they get reputational damage, you know, the profits are going to always be there. Right. So. But then, me and you here, we're talking about specific data, items, problems. We're not just chipping away at Joe Biden and saying he's elderly or he, he doesn't know what's going on. It's, we're, you know, we're saying these things are wrong. They have to be corrected no matter who gets in. So if Look, Bobby Kennedy has a better idea, let's vote for him. If you really think Trump has a better idea, vote for – you know, there should be more than just two parties, right? Well, yeah, that's true. And unfortunately, you know, there's whole arguments about that. But, you know, I was not surprised 
that Donald Trump postponed the records, even though we said he did, he would he would release them. I am very disappointed, surprised, and disappointed, deeply disappointed about Joe Biden. He voted for the act, right? And he has a bust of Robert Kennedy in his office, and he's doing this. And it just to me, he's cowering to the to the institution to the national security bureaucracy, and that is very disappointing to me. And I'm becoming. For me personally now, I'm like a one-issue candidate now in this. I mean, if he doesn't release the rest of the records, I will not vote for him. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to vote for his opponent. I may not vote at all, but he's lost my vote now. Yeah. And I hope, I hope a lot of people say that to him, to, to, the, to the White House, um, because he's got to realize that there's a price to pay for cowardice. He's acting. He has a bust of a very, a very brave man in his office, and he's acting like a coward. Yeah. You know, now, did, I'm I mean, sure he you has, have heard this, but do you, did you hear the quote uh, Judge Napolitano was talking to Trump? And he said, why didn't you release the records? You told me you were gonna. You got a week left. And he said, if you saw what I saw, you would realize I can never release these records. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I can send you I'm that sure, video I'm, clip. I'm sure that Donald Trump said that. I'm not sure... Because of the procedure that was used, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but I'm sure that Donald Trump said that. Well, because yeah, but he, just think he, of that, right? You know, and maybe whatever percentage it's true. It's just that, yeah, those guys said, yeah, of course we know who did it. We did it, and we did it to, uh, you know, he was getting too soft on communism, and he would erect everything we were fighting for. So the, we pulled the plug on him, and we you know handled it, and that's that. It just astounds me that I, I feel that. We have an obligation to future. It's not just my generation that lived through it, that wants to know what happened to our president, but I feel we have an obligation to future generations because they're not going to have access to the original materials, the original witnesses, you know. And I feel we have an obligation to history, and you know. And and I even called a task the John F. Kennedy Library because they have records in that they're holding back, that they have not released. And the Kennedy family is not, is not completely clean in this case either, because I think they're holding things back that could tarnish the memory of President Kennedy because of some mafia stuff and other stuff. Um, but, so, you know, but I still think that people... Our our leaders are too right. often well, we thinking can, the about this. Can debate that they can say I agree with this or this document looks uh, like a forgery or you know whatever you know. So they'll yeah, be a debate, yeah. but just at arm's right. length, the government should but, never be holding this, and it's just right. the the footprint right. of their involvement tooth and nail to the fact that they want to have the judge throw out your request for what they agreed to already to release the and, records. And I and I've read some memos that were recently released where even Ambassador Mondale, when he was the ambassador to Japan, was asking that certain records not be released at that time because it would raise some tensions with the Japanese government about certain things. And there were some countries that did not want it be known that we had a CIA station on their soil because that could cause a uh, uprising and perhaps give power to some leftist organization that they were fearful. But that was in the 1990s. It's now the, the 2020s. So whatever rationale may have been in existence then, 
it's hard to believe, I think this is just the boy crying wolf again, that after another, the initial 30 years, I mean, they were concerned about releasing information that the president of Mexico in 1963 had approved a listening uh, a, a program for us and that we had a joint program on the Mexican embassy, I mean, on the Cuban embassy and the Russian embassy. They were afraid that if that information came out, that it would collapse the government. Well, that government has not been around for 50 years. And like when Australia was asking, there was a document that was released last at the end of last year. The information in it, we already knew about. It was about Oswald in Japan. But that document had been withheld because the information had been collected by a listening station in Australia. And the Australian government in the 1990s did not want that information to be disclosed because they were afraid of a reaction from their population. So it finally gets released in 2019. Meanwhile, in the 20-teens, there's a TV show, number one show in, in Australia, about Pine Gap, which was our CIA listening station. So while the CIA is continuing to withhold this document, there's a TV program that everyone's watching in Australia about our CIA station. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Well... Uh, their control and the press has been working for them so far. So yep. thankfully, um, your efforts, my efforts, you know, people who are just trying to get uh, this out into the main, the mainstream, or you know, just anybody who's looking for information, if they look, they they find you know what we've done. And uh, like I say, hats off to your group for all the effort you're doing. Whether whether you're completely successful or only fifty percent or something, you know. But uh, I just wish you all the luck as well. Thank you. And just again, for your listeners, um, uh, I would ask that you contact the White House. Uh, you can go right on, just Google White House, and, and you'll, there's a phone number there, and then there's a, you can email them and tell them that you're outraged that the president has, you know, this, uh, has declined to release the rest of the records. If you feel that you can say it, I would further say that, you know, because of this, you will not vote for him. If you are... Uh, an American um, citizen, I would suggest that you contact your congressperson and ask them to demand um, that Congress hold an oversight hearing on the failure of the president to comply with the JFK Records Act. And if enough people, you know, this is what happened, how we got the JFK Act in the first place, was people were outraged when they, re when they saw the, mo the movie JFK. And they contacted and they phoned and they mailed their congresspeople. So I'm asking you, let's see if we can do this again. And uh, you do it, ask your friends to do it, and if enough of congresspeople get messages, they're going to realize that there's a whole the group of people out there that still want this to be taken care of, and this demands the president's uh, Friday night order, and I call it the Friday night massacre order, um, where he says that he is done with the act, um, that requires. An, uh, <laughs> Think of that an, language, eh? I'm done with it. You know, I'm done with it. Right. I've had it well, to we're hear saying with you guys blaming the government and the CIA on all right. of us of having killed Kennedy. Right. He well, deserved he's done it, with it, but he's done with it. But 60 years is enough. And we, we, I would ask your your listeners to contact their Congress people, say to hold an oversight hearing on the failure of the president to comply with the JFK records. Act. All right. Well, I'll and, just hope that happens. I hope that too, and just spread the word. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you after, um, you know, after our oral argument. Let you know how it went.
which is, uh, did you say the, the 19th? It's the 13th. Now, the judge may not necessarily make a decision that day, right? right. I mean, yeah. sometimes judges make decisions at that day. Sometimes they already, they, they look at the papers and, and they kind of know where they're going to go and they just give the lawyers, you know, they have, may have some additional questions. And, um, but other times they will listen to the oral argument of the attorneys and then sit back and write an opinion. So we may not have a decision on that day. Um, so either, you know, I'll let you know how it went and we'll decide when the next time would be appropriate for me to, um, you know, talk to your listeners. Okay. All right. Thank you very much okay. for taking time, Larry. Thank you. You know, I know thank you very much. And, yeah. Thank you very much. And thank you for giving us this opportunity. And, um, I just, uh, you know, want to thank you for, for all you've done, uh, to promote this and, um, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting. Okay. Good luck. Okay. Thanks. Right. Okay. Bye. You're listening to Black Op Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another segment of Black Op Radio. Right now, we're going to be speaking to Jim DiEugenio. Hello, Jim. Good evening, Len. Good evening to you. Thank you for taking time to talk to us today. The, the real news here is that last Friday night, kind of weird how they do it at night, Joe Biden has put an end to the, um, the documents and the releasing of them and stuff that was agreed to at the end of uh, the 25 years that uh, they, the Assassination Records and Review Board were given. They said, okay, after 25 years, there shouldn't be any reason to withhold these documents. And yet, they keep withholding them, and now it's even darker. Well, usually, from my political experience, the reason you announce something late on a Friday night is so it won't hit the mainstream media the way it usually does if you do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, okay? Because people take the weekend off. Even editors take the weekend off. So I think this was planned to make as minimum an impact as, and it worked. It worked. There's no doubt about it because I hardly, did you see one MSM story, excuse me, one of my readers says I should use the word corporate media in the sound. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see one corporate media story on this? Not one. I didn't either. And just think of this. Not only are they fighting to release anything and redacting everything they can, but now they say we don't even want you to be able to they're, – they're up against the judge to have it thrown out. Just to have it thrown out. See, you know, you know what's um, so discouraging about this? is that Biden or whoever is running this program for him made a big uproar about releasing some documents. But the problem is that unlike the corporate media, I know people who read this stuff and there's still, there's still redactions in these documents that he supposedly revealed. And my, my guy, Gary Majewski, okay, who's going through all the documents – Says Jim, this is what he told me. He said, There is not one new release in either of those two batches. They're all been released previously. And like I said, there's still redactions in them. One of them concerns Schlesinger's letter to JFK about reorganizing the CIA. Okay. I think that's pretty important. But that's an example of some of the redactions. So, in other words, what they did is they trotted this out on a Friday night to avoid a barrage in the media. And then they previously announced they were releasing documents when, in fact, they really weren't. Okay? 
So it's it's a dual-edged propaganda ploy to put everybody to sleep. And then what the real agenda is, is the so-called CIA's transparency plan, which to me is a contradiction in terms. Okay, since when has the CIA ever been transparent? Okay, but that's what they wrote. And this will now go to a national uh, a national declassification board, which, of course, is going to be strongly influenced, okay, by the executive intelligence agencies. So, in other words, what they're going to be doing, Lynn, I believe, and I think most people familiar with this would, would probably also agree, is that they're dodging the real intent of the JFK Collections Act. And they're doing it at the last minute, and they're disguising it, okay? And as we know, the intention of the JFK Collections Act was to get rid of every single document pertaining to the JFK case in whole and in part. In other words, there would be complete disclosure of everything, all right? Now, in the act, they said this should be accomplished by 2017, October of 2017, Well, here we are in 2023, and now the White House wants to close the lights to avoid declassifying completely everything. Just imagine that, you know, that you would think that they would have probably gone through and destroyed a lot of um, uncomplimentary documents. That's what Jim Lazar told me several years ago, that he was talking to this general, and they said, and the guy said to him, that when the ARB closed its doors, he said there was a burn party. Okay. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not. Okay. Jim Lazar told me that, that he got it from some general, okay, in the Pentagon. Okay. Well, we're never going to know now, it looks like. Okay. Well, I mean, if you if you take that, if you take his word on that, um, there you go. That your government in action working against you. So yeah. now when Tucker Carlson says the CIA killed John Kennedy, uh, when Robert Kennedy Jr. is saying that, that the CIA killed John Kennedy, I think people should take that more seriously. Well, 60 years later, and this well, is what you, know, you get. I don't see, how else can you think of this except that way? I mean, really, how else can you think of it? Why are they not disclosing everything? Because they were behind it. Well, I'm just you know, we got to start saying it. I'm I'm not going to go that far, but okay, I will. Know, as as Allard, as as Al Lowenstein said, you know, in all of his years as an attorney, you know, his famous motto was, in my experience, people with nothing to hide don't hide things. Okay, I don't see how else you can spin this. No, you you can't. And then you know, Alan Dulles is appointed to the Warren Commission, and uh, his job is to cover it up. And keep the lid on things. Yeah, we, well, we, we know that. But see, the whole thing about the ARB was that they were supposed to lift this veil of secrecy, okay, once and for all. Well, Unfortunately, they, 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 didn't tried, have yeah. enough, they didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough people. And when they closed their doors, the, like I said, the other side had a party, you know. <laughs> okay. But there was still hope. There was still hope. Because the ARB put dates on some of those documents. This will be declassified in 1999, 2001, 2003, etc. You know, and there was some stuff declassified. All right, there was. 
But then came the big day, October 2017, and the CIA and the FBI go into Trump's office, you know, and I believe what they always do is they read him the riot act. But this is what I don't understand. 60 years later, are you going to tell me there is still an agent in place from 1963? Please don't insult my intelligence. I mean, most people serve in the CIA for like 25 to 30 years at the most. You know, you're going to tell me there's still somebody around from from 60 years ago. You're going to tell me there's still an operation running. okay, from 60 years ago. I, 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 you know. See, the big difference now and then was when the FBI and the CIA came in for their first meetings with the ARB, the ARB was ready. It's like, for instance, with the FBI, Thunheim said, look, this is not a Freedom of Information Act hearing. We are going to declassify everything unless you prove to us that somebody is in danger if we do. And that's the only reason we will not declassify it. And then the FBI guy there came with their lawyer and the FBI representative said to the attorney, can they really do that? And the lawyer said, yes, they can. (laughs) And so this was what a big switch it was, okay, from the Freedom of Information Act. Because the Freedom of Information Act, I'm sure you're you're aware of this, in, in that legislation, the person filing the lawsuit doesn't see the document. He has to argue blindly that this would be in the public interest. All right. But in with the ARB, they did see the document. So they weren't arguing blindly. They knew what it said. Okay. And they called the bluff on on many of these things. The problem was they I said they didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough people to finish the job. Well, I don't think that's by accident. (laughs) I would have to agree with that. I would have to. Well, you know, Bush never wanted this thing. H.W. Bush, he deliberately let the clock run out before appointing the board so that it couldn't get up and going. So Clinton, when Clinton came in, he had to basically start all over. He was a person who went ahead, you know, and appointed the board members. And they finally then got started, you know, but they had to ask for, I believe, two extensions. And even then. They, they still couldn't finish a job. And now the ultimate irony, of course, is that you have a Democratic president who has a bust of Bobby Kennedy in the Oval Office and has a wall painting of John F. Kennedy in his study, who is now apparently going to stymie the last of the documents in the JFK case. You know, and by, by the way, let me say something else. I don't know if you know this, if the news got up there to Canada. In addition to this, Biden has appointed Elliot Abrams to something called the Presidential Foreign Policy, something like this, Foreign Policy Advisory Board. I don't know if you know who Elliot Abrams is. Yeah, but for those who don't know, go ahead. Okay. He's a dyed-in-the-wool Republican neocon, and he was involved in some of the worst scandals of the Reagan administration. I'm talking directly about the Iran-Contra affair and the... Al-Mazadi massacre. If you don't know what the Al-Mazadi massacre was, I, I strongly advise you to look it up. Okay, it was it was in El Salvador, I believe, in 1981 or 1982, and it was the equivalent, I believe, you know, uh, in Central America of the My Lai massacre in Vietnam. All right, nobody knows how many people perished 
and the Almazadi massacre. The estimates go from about 200 to almost 1,000. Elliot Abrams was essentially the point man on Reagan's Central American policy. All right. And many people believe that he was involved in the cover up on this. Ray Bonner from the New York Times was the first person to actually research it. He came under a lot of pressure, okay, for the story he wrote about what really happened. But my question is my God, what is Biden doing appointing a somebody like this, you know, in his administration? I mean, in this fall, at Cyril Buck's Pittsburgh conference, this is going to be the subject of my talk, the death of Kennedy and the rise of the neocons. Because if you recall, during the debates between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, Sanders scored her on spending Christmases with Henry Kissinger in the Caribbean, you know, and he said, a Democrat spending Christmas with Henry Kissinger, the most destructive secretary of state? Probably, well, if he's not the most, he's one of the worst. Okay. So this is, see, this is what's happened to the Democratic Party. They associate with people like Kissinger and they appoint people like Elliot Abrams. And this is one of the things I'm going to be talking about. I think it's really, really, you know, Biden, although he tried to deny it, he voted for the Iraq War. Now, I don't know how deeply you were into that back then, Len, but I believe any halfway intelligent person who did their research would have to figure that, A, Saddam had nothing to do with al-Qaeda, and B, he wasn't trying to build atomic weapons, okay? These, these were manufactured by the Reagan administration. And by the way, it wasn't just him. It was Hillary Clinton. She voted for the Iraq War, all right? I mean – you know, so when Bobby Kennedy goes up to San Francisco and he walks in the Tenderloin District, which is the home of so many homeless people, you know, where they sleep in tents, etc., you know, in one of the richest cities in America, you know, and he says, you know, we have to stop these forever wars and we have to bring this money back home and cure some domestic problems. You know, I don't I don't, I don't see how anybody else can see it any other way. You know, well, it's it's beyond logic. I just uh, I'm appalled at the money they, they're sinking into Ukraine. One hundred and thirty five billion dollars. Yeah. Even if you can believe that amount of just <laughs> billions and billions. And, and you know, and uh, it the joke is everybody's calling it a proxy war. Oh, of course, we know it's America versus Russia. Like, what the hell? You know? So just keep saying proxy war and then put your head in the sand that you don't yeah. know what's going on, right? You know, right? Uh, you know, why should there even be a proxy war? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, and and again, you know that the Democrats should be behind this, and Biden, you know, has been, you know, his administration has been pushing this whole thing. You know, and the whole idea, I, as most people say, and there's there's a few good sources you can find on this, although it's very, very difficult. You know, like Scott Ritter is a pretty good source on this. Yeah, you know. Colonel but, Douglas McGregor. Yeah, there's another one, okay? And, you know, Joe Napolitano, you know, that conservative judge. Yeah, judge Napol- yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, you know, and and the whole idea was the, was the re- weak in Russia. 
I even listen to uh, Jackson Hinkle every now and then. I just want to see. I mean, they have um, they have interviews from there, from both sides, from Ukraine and Russia, and uh, you know, um, but. But not getting into that too much. I'm just getting back to the to the JFK no, thing. No, but my point is, you know, what has happened to the Democratic Party? Well, yeah. I was going to mention then that there's a meme like this, and it, it shows um, like an Indian speaking, and he says, "Left wing and right wing part of the same bird." <laughs> That's a good one. And so, coupled with this, we get. Joe Biden turning out the lights on the JFK document release. You know, I really wish that four people would have a press conference this week at the press club. Judge John Thunheim, number one. Oliver Stone, number two. Jeff Morley, number three. And Bobby Kennedy Jr., number four. I mean, would that get somebody's attention or not? No, they did still be calling him an anti-vaxxer <laughs> you know and so that's the kind of thing that we need right now because the the corporate media is is not going to pick up this story you know they've had what saturday sunday monday you know they've had several days now to pick up this story yeah but they're not gonna and that's why they released it on a friday night yeah, and it's, I, it's an I, old I, joke. I, so I, you I know, totally. it's it's uh, it's really awful. But there it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, until we start, like um, Tucker Carlson said, just start saying, "Of course, the CIA did it. Mm-hmm. Of course, Alan Dulles would have had to know it." And he's <laughs> working for Sullivan Cromwell and the banking mm-hmm. concern, the law firm for all the biggest, you know, banks in America and big money. Yeah. Of course, that's mm-hmm. who did it. Otherwise, I mean, I made my series like 10 years ago, 50 mm-hmm. Reasons for 50 Years, and I thought that was saying something. And now it's 60. Another 10 years have gone by, and now they don't even want, uh, I forget the official legal term for them, uh, trying to throw it out of court. But they, they don't even, you know, they want it. Uh, See, the, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to have a story on this um, up at... Uh, Kennedy's and King? At Kennedy's and King, yeah. All right. We're going to have it up very soon. And I listed the – for everybody you know, who's listening to this show or reads Kennedy's and King, I listed the contact numbers you know, for the House Oversight Committee and the White House, okay, to go ahead – and it will be in the story – you know, to go ahead and whatever you want to do. You know, email, write a letter, okay, call, leave a comment, fax, or whatever you want to do. Go ahead and and just make sure that they're not fooling us, okay? Make your outrage known about this. You know, I mean, my God, 2023, and they still want to keep things hidden from the public, Right, but we have to we have to get tougher on this, Jim. Uh, I think we have to just start really saying now. Of course, the CIA did it, and the CIA mm-hmm. the last letter is A for agency. So CIA is working for the Department of Defense, or the big money of America, and right. they're the ones that did it. They're the ones that did it, and there's no other reason why you would hide information. After 60 years, there's right. just no other reason. So, 
you know, we have to stop pretending that. You know, and then the, and the thing is, here this is what really puzzles me. This was an act of Congress. It was an act of Congress by both houses. Biden voted for it. Right. Okay. So you're saying it's functionally illegal to to do what he's doing now. So in other words, how can how can an act of Congress be overruled unilaterally by the executive branch? You know, without anybody saying anything, you know, without any hearings being held. I, you know, I, I, I really I really don't understand this. Now, it's true. It is true that in the act, they did specify that only the president of the United States could more or less delay things. But after 2017, I would think that would be very, very difficult. So hopefully somebody on the oversight committee by the way, AOC is on the oversight committee. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> no hope at all. <laughs> she used to work for Ted Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Um, so, uh, somebody, hopefully, somebody, will call some kind of hearing on this and get an explanation. No, it's going to take you. It's going to take you. Nobody's going to do it. Like, for instance, the tweet the night before from Donald Trump, who was president, he said, hey, I'm really curious on what's going to happen tomorrow morning. They're supposed to release records. You remember that? Yeah, he was, he was, he, he said, it was about a week before. Okay. He said, I'm looking forward. Yeah, something to, to the, that effect, if I don't yeah, have a right. the final word. release. Right. Of and the JFK documents. Then, you know, the Friday morning, whenever it was, they said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I'm re so like you you said earlier. I forget uh, exact your exact words, but somebody came in and laid down the law and said, "No, yes. we're not." The FBI and the CIA said, "We're not releasing this shit." And mm -hmm. you heard the quote uh, that was from Judge Napolitano. He he said that he talked to Trump a week before he was leaving, and he said, "I'm really disappointed. You told me you were going to release those files. You know, you still got a week left." And he said to him. Judge, if you saw what I saw, you would know we could never release these. Right. That's what that he's that's what he supposedly said. Yeah. Right. No. I, uh, well, that's what Judge Napolitano said. That's that. what Napolitano right. said. Right. Reported. Said. Yeah, so right. now, if you take that, then you go, well, they they had their pressure point on Trump, and they just said you're not doing this. People mm -hmm. would freak out if they knew we did this, and they knew how we did Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King, and <laughs> and how many others. Right. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, we never had an RFK Act. We never had a Martin Luther King Act. So we never saw the whole picture on those two things. Right. But I will... there was a reporter for the Rolling Stone, I think, Michael Hastings, and he was doing some report, and then his car blew up. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, I remember that case. Right. Yeah. So I mean, they're still doing it. See, the th the thing is, what we have today, and and I've I've said this more than once, the ARB made a big difference we know a lot of we see the thing is we now know things that we could only believe before yeah but like, because of the internet has really picked up we're able to network and now right. somebody with this you can email the guy you can send a photo you can send a document people are really getting things going and mm -hmm. in the last 10 years um we've discovered quite a few things and you know, uh, uh, people. There's a lot of debates and forums and that. So the, the 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 ideas that don't hold water are getting pushed aside. And finally, mm -hmm. there's a group of people, and maybe like uh, another conference with Cyril Wecht, 
on the 60th, right? Oliver Stone and your documentary, right? Yeah, see, that's what we tried to do in the film. Yeah. Okay, no, we did. tried you to did present. A great job. Thank you. We tried to present the ARB documents, and that's why we had Toonheim, Samalock, and Doug Horn talking about them because they were worked for the ARB. And this was, I believe, mostly concealed by the corporate media. They didn't want, you know, I mean, we asked Thunheim and he said, we must have unleashed a hundred press releases and we got very, very little coverage. You know, and that's true. That's true. They did release a lot of press releases about the new documents and there was very, very little coverage. You know, I don't know how a story that says that 40 people from both Bethesda and Parkland saw blasted out a hole in the back of Kennedy's head. I don't know how that's not newsworthy. I mean, you would think that that would be on the front page, you know, or Bardwell Odom saying that uh, the FBI says that I showed that bullet to the first two witnesses at Parkland. He says, no, I never did any such thing. And I knew O.P. Wright, so I sure would have heck would have remembered. So you see, stuff like this, you know, goes to the heart of the Warren Commission's case, you know. Uh, and now we have Arlen Specter via Epstein's book, Presume Nothing or something, Assume Nothing, where he finally, Epstein finally revealed that Specter essentially said to the Warren Commission, Either we go with the magic bullet or we look for a second assassin, you know, and obviously they didn't want to look for another assassin. And so that's the way it was put to them. You know, why Epstein kept that hidden for all these years, you know, is incorrect because his book Inquest was published in 1966. And I don't remember that exchange being in that book. All right. So we now know firsthand you know, via one of the most prolific practitioners of the Warren Commission, Arlen Specter, you know, that it was essentially a fait accompli. All right. They didn't want to look for a second assassin or maybe a third assassin or how many there were, you know. Okay. So here we are, 60 years later, and what are supposed what are people supposed to think? You know, what is an intelligent person supposed to think? What is an informed person supposed to think? You know, whatever it is, they don't want us to see these last documents, you know. And like I said, you know, people with nothing to hide don't hide things. (laughs) So, yeah, in this whole, by the way, one of the things the review board was supposed to do was to eliminate this cynicism and skepticism, you know, about what the government was was doing with these documents. That's exactly what it was created for. So here we are now, and remember, the review board closed its doors in 1998. 1998. 25 years later, it's the same old, same old. Very, very discouraging, you know. 
Very, very discouraging. Okay, so up at Kennedy's and King, uh, there's a new article that I wrote uh, called Chris Hedges and Aaron Matei. Please sit down. And this is about two podcasts that were broadcast recently. All right. One with Matei, Katie Helper, David Talbot, and Aaron Good. And Aaron Matei, if you can believe this, I think it's hard to believe, but it's true. He said on this program that his two main sources for Kennedy's presidency were Seymour Hirsch, the dark side of Camelot, and Noam Chomsky, rethinking Camelot. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? A journalist like Matei admitting that in public, okay? But he did. But he did, all right? And so the other guy, the other guilty party is Chris Hedges. He used to work, of course, at the New York Times, all right? And I think for a number of years, like 12 to 15 years, all right, he was on something uh, called uh, – his podcast uh, was called uh, Bad Faith, okay? And that was with a woman who is sometimes on The Hill, their program called Rising, okay? All right, and she – I think this woman used to work – for uh, Bernie Sanders, okay? Her name is Brianna Joy Gray, all right? And so he was there a few days later. He said that his source for the Kennedy presidency, and everybody should read it, is Seymour Hirsch, okay? Can you believe this? Can you really comprehend this, you know? All the books you could read about the Kennedy presidency, like Donald Gibson's book, Battling Wall Street, okay, or David Talbot's book, Brothers, you know, you know, uh, or going way back, Arthur Schlesinger's book, A Thousand Days, okay, those are all good and valuable books that tell us a lot about what JFK was really trying to do. Or John Newman's book, JFK in Vietnam, especially the second edition, okay, in 2017. Or those all those articles you have about by Fletcher Prouty. You know, and then they you know I expose I put links here to Seymour Hirsch's my my discussion of Seymour Hirsch's book and also Chomsky. Okay, so you can see what what these people are relying on. And if you can believe this, if you can believe this, all right, they still kind of insisted that, A, Kennedy might not have been getting out of Vietnam, and secondly, that Bobby Kennedy was involved in the Castro assassination plots. You know, this is just... 
you know, it, first of all, the debate about Vietnam should have never come to the surface anyway. That the MSM did not want to admit this. Excuse me, the corporate media did not want to admit this when Oliver Stone's JFK came out. Because the films had two main theses. Number one, the Warren Commission was wrong. And number two, if Kennedy had not been killed, the Vietnam War would not have occurred. All right, because he was withdrawing at the time of his death. You know? Now, they were never going to accept that because there would then have appeared to be a connection. Oh, wait a minute. The Warren Commission report came out with the accompanying volumes in late 1964, September through November. Johnson sent the first combat troops to Da Nang three months later. Were those two events connected? You know, and that's, in my opinion, they were. I think a lot of other people too, all right? But they didn't want to admit that, okay? Because it would have said, well, where were you guys? Nobody noticed this? Nobody noticed the proximity between the cover-up being completed and the first combat troops going into Vietnam, which Kennedy was adamant that he was not going to send combat troops to Vietnam and, in fact, was withdrawing the advisors at the time of his assassination. You know, I mean, that, to me, the fact that we had to get this from people like Fletcher Prouty and Peter Scott and later John Newman, okay, and that it that story had been completely missed in both the corporate media and in college textbooks because the story had always been that Johnson simply continued what Kennedy was doing. All right? And that story can only survive if you conceal the facts. You know? If you bring them out in the open, which those three people did, and the ARB did also, then it's pretty much undeniable. I mean, even the New York Times and the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Associated Press, when the ARB declassified those documents in late 1997, even they admitted that Kennedy was getting out of Vietnam at the time of his assassination. You know? Well, this is well, what... What was Johnson's quote? He said, uh, I'll give you your damn war, just keep me elected. Yes. right. Just get me elected and I'll give you your damn warrant. Okay. And by the way, that was in Stanley Carnow's book. Okay. And Stanley Carnow is the guy who produced a pretty good documentary, Vietnam, a television history. All right. You know, so when, when Stone put that in his film, that wasn't, he didn't grab that out of dramatic license. It's in Carnow's book. All right, and Carnell was a mainstream media guy. 
you know, something just occurred to me. Imagine the documentary or film they're going to make about the Ukraine now. They're going to say, <laughs> where did all that money go? Where did all that gear? Yeah. What a pointless, uh, you know, when you t- think back about Vietnam, what the hell were they doing there? For how many years, it, you know? Yeah. What were they doing? And now what are they doing here? And uh, well, 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 Len, I, I think we found out later, unfortunately, what they were really doing in Vietnam. <laughs> And a lot of it had to do with the Golden Triangle, you know. So that was one of the things they were doing. The C- and CIA key, moving uh, opium, heroin, right? Drugs. And, yeah. and Key, the vice president, okay, uh, to to you know why Key was not president because he was involved in that. Okay, so they didn't want to make him the number one guy, you know. So that's the kind of thing. And God knows how much money they embezzled. I mean, Jesus, criminy. Well, the same thing's going on now. I mean, I agree that there is a big problem with all this money going to the Ukraine. I mean, you would think $135 billion, you know, (laughs) I mean, that would that would kind of do something, wouldn't it? You would think if it was being, you know, rationed out properly, et cetera. But this counteroffensive hasn't worked, you know, not at all. You know, so anyway, anyway, that's one of the things they were doing in Vietnam was the Golden Triangle. Another one of the things they were doing was trying to overthrow and dominate the nearby governments, you know, in Cambodia and Laos, you know, and Sihanouk, when Jackie Kennedy visited her, him, excuse me, uh, I believe this was like 1967 or something. And he told her, you guys are bombing my country. How long do you think I can keep the military in check when you're bombing our country? Okay. You know, and this is what I think caused Jackie Kennedy. If you remember in McNamara's book, he visited New York in 66 or 67. And... Jackie Kennedy invited them over for dinner, you know, and after dinner was over, they were sitting around the fireplace and she just exploded at him, grabbed him by the lapels of his shirt, okay, of his his jacket and started screaming, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop, okay, you know, she knew what had happened. You know, so this is the kind of thing they were doing. And, and of course, we know the end result of this. The end result of this was the collapse of the Cambodian government and the coming to power of the Khmer Rouge. You know, Laos, I mean, they bombed that poor country so much, you know, that they said it actually looked like the surface of the moon. When we were done with this, you know, and then this was, we know, you know this, you know, I'm sure Fletcher talked about it. You know, this was all done in secret. The bombing of Cambodia, this was all done in secret. There's that book, um, Shaw Cross's book, Sideshow, which explains how they kept it a secret. Kissinger and Nixon. All right. You know, and it was a disaster. It ended up being a disaster. You know, the whole thing 
in Southeast Asia, you know, ended up being an utter epical disaster, you know, for all three countries. Those those three countries were carved out of France. It was called French Indochina. At the Geneva Accords, which was supposed to be the peace settlement, okay, those three countries were carved out of French Indochina, you know. See, there was, excuse me, I should also say specifically, there was no South Vietnam. Let me say that again. There was no South Vietnam. South Vietnam was created by the Geneva Accords, and it was only supposed to be a temporary division. All right. Vietnam was supposed to be one country. All right. But we know what happened. The Dulles brothers, Lansdale and Eisenhower, all got together and they said there's no way on God's green earth that anybody we put up is going to beat Ho Chi Minh. Okay, so so if, if we have any kind of free elections, you know, we're going to be out of there. You know, and so they decided to create this country. And then Lansdale was the guy that Alan Dulles sent over to help their newly appointed leader, okay, Ngo Dinh Diem, all right, to create South Vietnam, you know. And that's the way that it ended up. And French Indochina ended up being South Vietnam, North Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. And the war went on and on. And on, from 1954, when the Geneva Accords were convened, to the fall of Saigon, okay, in 1975. And it ended up in, and I don't see how anybody can say anything except that it was an epical disaster. You know, if you want to see a, a, a neat movie on this, I don't know if you've seen it. Did you see Roy Kennedy's movie, Last Days in Vietnam? I don't recall. This is a – well, everybody listening to this show remembers that incredible image of the helicopter on top of that building, which I thought was supposed to be the American embassy, but I understand it wasn't. It was like an adjacent building. They used it in the Deer Hunter, that image of the helicopter on top of the building and all those Vietnamese trying to get on board, okay – you know, and they couldn't take them all. All right, that's what that's what that movie's about. It's about the last days in Vietnam, how it was symbolic of how what a disaster American intervention was in Vietnam as a whole. All right, so which and I I firmly believe, and I know you form firmly believe, and I know most of the people listening to this program firmly believe, JFK would have never allowed that to happen. Never. He would have never, ever sent American combat troops okay, into Vietnam. And he was, he was determined of this from at least November of 1961 to the end of his administration. He resisted every attempt. And I think there were nine of them. Yeah, nine of them. And everybody in his administration who was in the position to know that is McGeorge Bundy, Robert McNamara, and Maxwell Taylor. 
they all said, no, you know, Kennedy was never going into Vietnam. And I think, I think, I think it was Taylor who said that the one guy who prevented us from going to Vietnam was John F. Kennedy. Okay. You know, so that's how determined he was not to let that happen. All right. So when the, when Aaron Matei talks about this, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too vulgar, but, you know, this is just utterly and completely preposterous to be debating this at this late date. You know, I mean, what has a guy been doing? You know, I mean, you know, then he then he also talks about how there were still raids against Cuba after the missile crisis. Yeah, there were all of five raids in the whole second half of 1963. And Des Fitzgerald wrote a letter to the White House in 1964 saying, you know, this is a ridiculous attempt. What we're really doing is strengthening Castro. Okay, because he's making it look like we're a bunch of amateurs because he's deadering every one of these raids. He has too many spies. Okay, and so that's when they decided, yeah, this is, you know, and they pulled the plug on those, that very small amount, you know, of raids that we were doing anyway. They were like, I think what George Bundy said, there were like a total of 90 people involved. You know, we had maybe three or four uh, speedboats, okay, and these things never amounted to anything, which is true, all right? They, they, they didn't amount to nothing. But the important thing was, which Matei avoided, is that Johnson stopped the back channel between Kennedy and Castro, and Castro was very upset about this. And he made attempts, and I have a link here to Peter Cornblue's article. He made attempts to try and get Johnson to reopen the back channel. But Johnson, you know, like he did in Vietnam, you know, he decided to reverse Kennedy's policy there. All right, which I believe was was really a very, very bad okay, decision. All right. All right. And then Let's go to this whole thing about Vietnam. You know, I would think that anybody who holds it, and remember, Matei and Hedges are supposed to be liberals. They're supposed to be leftists, okay? But see, there's a big dividing line on the left, all right? And this is one of the things that marks it, all right? But... I believe, and I put down about three reasons here. This is just, this is just ridiculous to even debate this issue anymore. I thought it was ridiculous in 1992 myself. You know, I thought we had enough evidence back then between Scott Prouty and Newman. All right, but to debate it today, I believe is 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 just, is, is just fruitless in this circus. All right, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm really not going to get involved in that. Okay, you know, but when Chris Hedges came on with bad faith, he tries this whole same decided to go after Bobby Kennedy. And he has this old shibboleth that somehow 
Bobby Kennedy only got into the race because McCarthy almost beat Johnson in New Hampshire. Not true at all. In 85 Days, Jules Wickover's book about the Bobby Kennedy campaign, he makes it clear that Bobby Kennedy had decided to enter before that, but he didn't want to announce because he didn't want to interfere with New Hampshire. But he did not think McCarthy was strong enough on the domestic issues, and so that's why he decided to get in. Then the whole BS about somehow Bobby Kennedy being involved in the CIA mafia plots, you know, as I've said a million times, the Kennedys didn't even know these were going on. They only found out about it through an accident when Giancana got Mayhew to wiretap uh, Phyllis McGuire's room at a Las Vegas hotel. And this was discovered, kicked up to the FBI, and that's how Bobby found out about it. And then the CIA lied about him when he wanted to be a briefing on it, and they said that they had been discontinued, which, is an, uh, which not only was a lie, but they knew it was a lie when they told him. All right. There was never any presidential approver for those plots, and that's right in – and this is what gets me so angry. The, the inspector general report is online. One place it's online is the Mary Farrell Foundation. Anybody can read that report if they want to. It's about 145 pages long, and it's the best thing we have on those plots. All right, and it's right there in black and white. You know, then he says that JFK never questioned a Cold War ethos. Oh my God. In the long version of our film, JFK Destiny Betrayed. We do about five minutes on the Algeria speech. That is Kennedy's 1957 speech on the Senate floor railing against the United States backing of France against the rebellion in Algeria off the north coast of Africa. At the end of that speech, Kennedy said, how can we forget what happened three years ago with the fall of Dien Ben Phu? Do we really want to be on the wrong side of history again? I mean, I don't see you know, how, how anybody can miss that speech. And, what, and then Kennedy got into office. What did he do? He backed Lumumba. He was going to back Lumumba against Belgium, against two colonial powers, France first and then Belgium. And was it just a coincidence that the CIA helped kill Lumumba three days before Kennedy came into office? I don't think so. All right. All right. And then Kennedy still, after Lumumba was assassinated, he still supported the government of Congo against the rebellion of Katanga, backed by England and Belgium. All right. Okay, then this whole thing about the Kennedys' lack of support and late support for civil rights, this is more BS. I linked in my essay, JFK signed a – by the way, I think it's – we had a really bad week. The Supreme Court struck down affirmative action. JFK was the first president to sign an order about affirmative action. I believe it was in March or April of 1961. OK, Bobby Kennedy indicted the secretary of education in Louisiana for not supporting the Brown versus Board Act. 
that was in 1961. So this is all more BS about them not supporting civil rights. Okay, and then he goes into the whole thing about King. Bobby Kennedy, nobody could make the speech that Bobby Kennedy did on the night Martin Luther King was assassinated in Indianapolis who did not admire Martin Luther King. I'm sure you've you've seen it a dozen times. Anybody can see it on YouTube. I linked to it there. Bobby Kennedy, that was probably, I believe, Bobby Kennedy's greatest speech. And it was extemporaneous. Indianapolis was the only major city in America that did not go up in flames that night. Okay, and I believe that was the main reason for it. It was Bobby Kennedy who gave King the idea for the Poor People's March. Now, the whole thing about the wiretap on King, this was Hoover's idea. William Sullivan, who worked for Hoover, said Hoover was applying relentless pressure to Bobby, okay, that King was a communist, that he had communists in his camp, and he was going to go ahead and give the story to somebody, okay? And so Bobby made a deal with the devil, okay? He said, look, 30 days if the wiretap comes up with nothing, then that's the end of it, all right? It was one wiretap for 30 days. We know what happened. JFK was assassinated, and Hoover ripped out his private line from Bobby Kennedy to his office. All right, now, it's so ridiculous to say that there was antipathy between Bobby and Martin Luther King, as I just tries to say, because anybody knows who studied 1968, which was one of the hugest, most epical years in recent American history, King did not endorse McCarthy. His advisors wanted him to. King said, no, we're going to wait. I want to know what Bobby Kennedy is going to do. And so when Bobby got in, King was overjoyed. And he said, we're going to get behind Bobby. And also, what about Bobby Kennedy and Cesar Chavez? How can anybody ignore that? It was Cesar Chavez who got Bobby Kennedy to Delano for those hearings. And I have a link to those hearings where Bobby Kennedy was so memorable in his support of the farm workers. So when Hedges says that somehow the Kennedys were not, you know, were not backers of civil rights, this is just preposterous. But we also know what happened when JFK was killed, what Gamal Abdel Nasser said what Ahmed Sukarno said, what Juan Bosch of the Dominican Republic said. They were all almost broken up in tears, not just because of what had happened to JFK, but I think they all realized what was going to happen now with him dead. And they were all correct, of course. We know what happened, except for maybe Chris Hedges and Aaron Matei. Okay, so then, by the way, I got a lot of, I actually got like five letters on this one. You know, I'm, when I, they were emails, of course, but these were not notes. They were like two and three paragraph letters to me. Okay, they, our readers, and I guess your listeners, you know, really like it when somebody stands up to the so-called liberal intelligentsia about the Kennedys, who, by the way, are not very intelligent, <laughs> you know, when it comes to this subject. Okay, now upcoming we have an article by Matt Dowdit, all right, from Texas, which I believe is going to be on the Sixth Floor Museum. 
And we have one upcoming with Jeff Carter about Fletcher Prouty, which will be like a part two of my uh, Prouty versus the Arab So that's upcoming probably in about a week. At okay, 10. good. All right? All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Good night, Len. Thank okay. you so much. Good night.